Hey everybody, welcome to Drive Through Board Game Blog number 68. And if you are listening to this on the podcast, there's no mistake, uh, I decided to put this out on my YouTube channel and the podcast feed just like normal. There is a podcast coming, I think in a week or two weeks probably from the time of this recording, so don't freak out if you're wondering where's the podcast, there's a board game blog. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today is my top 10 games from 2012. Uh, so recently I ran a poll and put out some feedback and uh, asked for feedback, I should say, about uh, a topic that I'm going to talk about on my upcoming podcast, and which everybody voted on the one that I think I really wanted to, <laughs> so that's good, so good job everyone. Um, but one thing that I got feedback on was to do something like a look back kind of thing. And I kind of started this last year. I did a couple of uh, board game blogs and things uh, looking back. And I realized, oh yeah, I was going to do that. You know, I took a little break there for a minute. Uh, so I'm like, oh yeah, I did. I was up to 2011. So let me go back to 2012. And so I started kind of poking around. I got my phone here with my little notes. And uh, so I was like, okay, good, this is good. So I kind of dug back through my reviews and my top list of the year and went through the Board Game Geek rankings to kind of see you know, what, what games were released and all that. And so interesting uh, idea here, actually. So I've broken this into two top fives. So I've got five games that are great that I got rid of. And I replaced them with something else that came out after. But I'd still definitely recommend the games I'm going to talk about. Then I've got the top five that I still kept mostly, but we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, so I think one interesting uh, little nugget I want to put here before I start into the list is I kind of see a little bit of the kernels or the beginnings of the seeds of things that have sort of just uh, attracted me uh, over the course of time. So let's just start stop with that nonsense and then just get into the quick list here. So this is the first I'm going to do the top five games I got rid of, but are still good. So the number five one is Lords of Waterdeep. And I really enjoyed this game. I really, really enjoyed it with the expansion. That kind of adds a whole mess of nonsense and this idea of corruption and things. If you're not familiar with Lords of Waterdeep, I think it's still in print. I don't see people talking about it a lot. And I know it was kind of in and out of print for a while, but it's a worker placement game in Waterdeep. And players are lords in the Forgotten Realms Dungeons and Dragons uh, universe. And you're sort of hiring adventurers and going on, sending them on quests and things and building buildings in the city and all that kind of stuff for victory points. It's a pretty straightforward uh, Euro game. It's got some interesting kind of card play where you go to, I think it's like the port, and then you can play these intrigue cards, which are kind of a take that cards and stuff like that, or little special abilities and things. And then the expansion adds a couple extra little boards and just makes the game a little bit more crunchy and interesting, although I don't necessarily think you should jump in with all of that the first time that you play, because I did enjoy uh, the base game as it was. Uh, now this was got most play uh, with the family, uh, lots of play with the family, although the game group uh, did enjoy it as well. I wouldn't say it was everybody's favorite game, but I, 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 sort of a memory that it, it was uh, well received. Now the game that replaced it was Viticulture, especially with when you add the Tuscany expansion. Now, Viticulture and Lords of Waterdeep had nothing in common in terms of the theme, but some of the game mechanics and how it works out, uh, it's sort of similar. So you, you know, you place workers in Viticulture and you have kind of a summer and uh, winter phases and stuff like that. And then you have these little areas where you can put a guy down and then you can play a card to uh, either will fulfill wine orders or you can get different special ability spots to, you know, get extra bonus actions. And so that has that similar feel to it. 
with Waterdeep, where you have your just kind of real basic worker placement, go here, get money, go here, do this thing, fulfill this recipe, build this building, whatever. And then you have these other spots that are maybe sort of more efficient uh, and have to do a little bit with card play. And so you get that kind of combo feel to it. Uh, so anyway, I, I really enjoy both of the games. Uh, but right now, Viticulture has replaced that. And again, with the family, that's been, you know, I don't know, 80, 90% of my plays of both of these games have been with the family. And Viticulture has a little bit more to it, especially with Tuscany, because you can kind of modularize, make modules out of the expansions and plug and play and add them uh, to those. Uh, to those. So I definitely would recommend either game. Basically, if winemaking sounds boring to you and running a bunch of groups of uh, questers and dungeoneers uh, through your daily life doesn't sounds more interesting than get one or the other <laughs> so that was number five lords of waterdeep slash viticulture and number four uh would it be kemet uh, now this again came out in 2012 as well uh really enjoyed this game very different kind of uh, combat uh, type of system this feels like it was uh, somebody that was a Eurogamer that really likes playing Ameritrash, but their Eurogamer friends didn't like it, so they made a cool Euro fighting game. <laughs> I don't know if that's a terrible description because it's a bunch of like nonsense words, uh, but that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like a really refined, elegant, streamlining, just kind of revisit of the dudes on the map hitting each other in the face kind of thing with lots of special abilities and stuff. So that was Kemet. Now this has been replaced by uh, Lords of Hellas which is amazing and has some similarities to Kemet. And it's almost like there's a bridge from Kemet to Inish to Lords of Hellas, which kind of goes back towards Kemet in some ways, but then pulls some Inish back with it. Uh, because in, in Lords of Hellas, you have these multiple victory condition kind of ideas, uh, which is the same, same as Inish. So you can win one way or the other way or this other way. It's not just like most points or first one to 10 points or first one to control these areas or whatever. There's multiple ways you have to sort of juggle and manage and fight against and try to achieve all mixed in there. Uh, the combat stuff in Lords of Hellas is different. It's card driven in a lot of ways, but the hand management side of the combat in Lords of Hellas is, is not like Kemet where in Kemet you play a combat card and then you've used it up and you can't get it back until an action is taken and then you can get your cards back. Um, in Lords of Hellas, you have just a kind of a random hand of cards, so it's not the same, but those cards have multi-use. So in terms of managing using those cards against combat against another player or using it in a monster fight and different things like that. So there's a, there's a push and pull there between that. So it, it still keeps that same vibe to me in terms of like, mm, what do I use? Which card do I use? Which is best? Do I use it here? Do I use it there? That same feeling is in Kemet and Lords of Hellas. Uh, so, yeah. So, I don't want to get into really why I like Lords of Hellas more than Kemet, but I do. And But I would definitely still recommend Kemet, uh, especially when you, if you play with that first expansion. I think there's two expansions now, or the second one's coming out, which adds a lot of sort of extra toolkit stuff that you can do. Uh, the one thing I really liked about uh, Kemet was you had these kind of pyramids of technology. You had blue, black, and green uh, sort of things that you would go and sort of get these different uh, abilities and stuff. And they were very kind of focused on a certain styles of play, you know, want to be very aggressive and so on. And then as you sort of moved up, then you could get these monsters on your side and they would fight with you and stuff. So that was a very interesting way and it was made it very replayable uh, to kind of reapproach the game every time uh, to do something different. And Lords of Hell does something 
uh, in, in similar ways, but it's more like inish in a way where it's, you're kind of trying to, maybe this time I'm going to go for this victory or that victory. And then, of course, what all the players do is going to change that. Uh, so that's Kemet in 2012, and then just recently Lords of Hellas. Uh, and to be fair, Inish actually kicked out Lord Kemet. Well, was it two years ago now? So that was already gone. But <laughs> Lords of Hellas has actually replaced Inish. So just, just to be clear. Uh, the number three here is uh, Mage Wars. And this also came out in 2012. And this, this has been one of my absolute favorite games of all time. To be honest, you say, well, Joel, why, why did you get rid of it? Well, I don't know if you've noticed on my shelf, I have a lot of miniatures now. And frankly... Mage Wars is a card game, but it's a miniatures game where the miniatures are just cards. And that's not like a knock, but that's great uh, because it's not about the cards. So in Mage Wars, it's two mages battling. And instead of like a deck of cards, like in Magic or something, you actually have a book of spells. You say, "Mm, I'm going to cast this this turn. Go into your spell book, pull the card out and cast it as long as you have enough mana left on your board. And there's ways to generate and, you know, manage your mana. And then it's a little battlefield board with these big squares and you put creatures down and move your mage around and fight and blast spells and throw up walls and shoot vines around and and the vines will shoot out thorns and it's very thematic. It's a really great game. It does take a little bit of time to play uh, the first few times you play it. You can see a game go up to two, eh, I don't know, I heard three hours. A lot of people said that. A lot of people said three hours. I was like, never. (laughs) I've never seen a game go three hours. But... Um, the game's going to go hour and a half, you know, let's just call it that, which might be a little bit longer than you want for just a real quick head-to-head type of game. This can be very sort of methodical and thought-provoking, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but it's very, very thematic. And I know people throw out that word thematic. In this case, I think it's doubly true because uh, when I approach it, it's like, okay, I have this, uh, let's say it's a Beastmaster. And I'm like, what do I want to do with the Beastmaster? I'd like to summon a bear. So I put the bear in there. And I have all these bear, these spells that make it more of a bear. <laughs> so now it's really mean. And it's really nasty. Or I've got these uh, vines, like I mentioned earlier. And so these vines will go out and they'll sprout little plants and stuff will grow out of them. And you can sort of set up these little like spawning hubs and stuff. And it's just like, they're like, oh, what's an effect? Okay, let's make a card that does that. <laughs> and they just have cards for like all kinds of stuff. Uh, now the game I think is, is it dead? I don't know. I never see anything come out uh, for it anymore. And it might have run its course. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you were looking to get into it because you could get the base game. Frankly, you could just get the base game and you'd be good to go. But you could get the base game and some expansions. I would recommend getting the Battlegrounds. I think it's called Battlegrounds. It's the other really big box expansion where it's more of like, uh, uh, not capture the flag, but there's more like objective base gameplay. It's not just kill the other guy. Because they, that you can get a slog. You can go back and forth. I heal. Okay, do 10 damage to you. I heal 8 damage. Back and forth. But if you have objectives, you're holding control. That kind of builds in kind of a ticking timer to, you know, get the game over with and end it. So the game, though, that's been replaced, obviously, is a minis game. Specifically, I would say Frostgrave. Uh, Frostgrave is a miniature game. You have a little wizard. You have a wizard apprentice. And you have eight guys with you. Or gals. And they're going to be uh, different warriors and stuff that you can hire. And you go on multiple quests and you build a big terrain filled table. And you get spells and you can cast whatever spell you want. And you just have to manage the mana and roll the d20 and all that stuff. And uh, not the mana. But you have to roll the d20. And then, um, you know, you 
you have to play through the game and it's a very thematic narrative type of thing. So it's the same kind of thing as Mage Wars and there's a tons and tons of spells. Not as many in the Mage Wars, but you don't need that because you've got a lot of the tactical... You wouldn't want... If you had as many spells in Frostgrave as you Mage Wars, like nobody would... There'd be some really broken combo probably. But uh, yeah, so the miniature games and then playing bigger games like uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar and stuff, I've just really sort of I'm like, eh, I don't really want to play Mage Wars. <laughs> I'd rather just play a miniature game because if I'm going to play a game that's taking me an hour and a half or so and uh, Frostgrave you can get done definitely in less than an hour sometimes. Uh, you know, and just kind of play that way. It's it just a choice thing. I'd rather play that and build a, you know, thematically, a visually interesting, colorful world of a table that I've contributed to and whoever else that I'm playing with has contributed to. And we both painted our miniatures and stuff. So it's just one of the things where like my brain is shifted. And this is what I was kind of talking about with the seeds is like, you know, like I was kind of surprised that I started getting into miniatures as much as I did after I played Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. And then got introduced to Frostgrave and stuff. And I was like, what? where did this come from? And then I'm looking through this list and I'm like, I love Mage Wars. <laughs> Mage Wars is totally a miniatures game. So there it is. All right, so that's Mage Wars. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. If you can pick up a cheap base copy, get that one expansion, you're going to have fun with it, I think. So number two here is Terra Mystica, which has been replaced by Gaia Project, which is basically the same game. With some refinements, it's in a sci-fi universe, which is Terra Mystica was in a fantasy universe. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say, because they're really the same game. Yes, there are differences. Yes, there's been streamlining and stuff like that, little tweaks and balancing that's happened in Gaia Project. I have seen a fair number of people that seem to like Terra Mystica more than Gaia Project. I don't know. why. I didn't, I didn't count right when people tell me what they like more, but th there's some that like Terra Mystica more than Gaia Project. Uh, so it's kind of a give or take. Uh, they're very uh, Eurofied, uh, territory control, weird combo power. They kind of live on their own. There really is not games like Terra Mystica and Gaia Project. I'm sure there's some obscure thing that I'm not thinking of, but these two designs, even though they're very close, I mean, they're sister games, really. Maybe they're, uh, they're twins, as there's not identical twins, they're fraternal twins, but... Uh, yeah, so, but these two games can sort of live off on their own, I think. Um, they just have really interesting, uh, mechanisms that feel like they've, there's purpose to there. Uh, you know, if you like Euro games, if you like kind of a high strategy type of idea, um, go for these games. I mean, these are a no-brainer. I think Terra Mystic is in the top 10 on Board Game Geek, so there's a lot of, uh, people. It's a very popular game. I think, uh, you'll find players that would, uh, enjoy playing it with you for sure. I don't really want to talk about this game. It's harder. See how long I talked about Mage Wars? Why? Because of the theme stuff. <laughs> See how long I talked about Terra Mystica? Interesting mechanics. Okay, and then I'm off to the next one. Don't take that to be, uh, I'm going to decide here a little bit, to be like an indictment of Terra Mystica versus Mage Wars or whatever. You know, just because I can talk about it uh, thematically, because it's grounded in some kind of crunchy reality, right? There's like, it's, it has smells and tastes. Terra Mystica doesn't, it, you know, those kind of games really don't. They have a different sort of smell and taste. It's not like a refined wine tasting taste versus a McDonald's taste. I don't buy into that malarkey. It's a different thing. It's like a different crunch on the brain. So I just, you're like, he just blew right through Terra Mystica and talked for 30 minutes about Mage Wars. It's because I don't know how to talk about mechanics that long. It's very, very hard to talk about unless I just reviewed the game and walked through it. And then I'm like, okay, all those thoughts are in my head. And then away I go. 
So it's difficult. But I don't really think there's an either or there. Sorry. A little sidetrack. Okay, now the last one here. This is the number one game. I think it was the number one game of the year for me. Uh, that year. I think so. I didn't remember checking. Um, but, uh, no, I think, never mind. I'm uh, sorry. Sidetracking myself. Stop. <laughs> so this the one hasn't been replaced. And I apologize if I get heavy here. I may slip into it because I've been preparing my mind. Anyway, the number one game I've gotten rid of and not replaced in this case is Freedom... Uh, the Underground Railroad. Uh, this is a game about freeing uh, slaves during the abolitionist time period in the United States. And you're kind of running them up through the Underground Railroad and helping them to move through these paths and avoid slave catchers. And uh, also trying to have this little kind of card drafting thing where you're trying to sort of pass the abolitionist laws at the same time. So you're kind of managing the sort of physical freedom of the people and versus these sort of... Uh, I'm not, not abstract, but the legal freedom of them as well. The conceptual, almost real freedom in some ways compared to physical, but you need both. Uh, so you're doing that and you're running them through it. And it is a, to me, it's an absolute achievement in design uh, of a game. Uh, the, the, sort of the crux of this for me is at some point in the game, you're going to be running these cubes up and the cubes represent slaves. And they are going to go up these different paths and these slave catchers are kind of bouncing back and forth. At some point, you're going to have to make a choice to flee, or free more slaves on this side than on the other side. And so effectively sacrificing people uh, off to the side so that you can win the game and hopefully, you know, abolish slavery as well. Uh, so that I think is uh, just... I mean, what do you say to that? It's a, just a board game, obviously, but it's it's a tough thing. And uh, it's a game that I played, let's call it 10 times, and I beat it twice. It is a, it is a relatively difficult game, even uh, even at the easier difficulty levels. Um, and it kind of feels like a pandemic kind of thing because you've got the routes and things from terms of a mechanical perspective. Um, but it was one of those things where I had played it enough. It's... Uh, let's 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 be honest. It's a little bit of kind of a downer at like a game night kind of thing, and it's it's an odd one to sort of like play in public as well. Oh, what are you guys playing? Oh, we're freeing slaves, and there's a certain sort of I don't know what the word is. Somebody can probably pronounce this uh, better than me. But if you were just walking by and you were like, "You guys are freeing slaves in a board game," okay, why don't you try doing something similar in real life? You know, so it's a strange dichotomy there where there's not necessarily a fun game and it's not really a game you can really make jokes out of because a lot of times when you play games, you'll just make jokes at other people's expense, even if you're playing a co-op. This is a situation where you kind of don't want to do that. Um, however, I think the game is amazing. I think it's great. I wish we had more games like this because there's just a certain part of playing in a game, especially playing board games in a face-to-face -face social situation where it gives you the agency to at least pretend to inhabit uh, people trying to accomplish this kind of goal. And I think there's some, there's a certain amount of, I don't know what the right word is here. So forgive me on these words, there's a certain amount of magic or power or an empowerment in a way. And there's a certain level of, uh, I don't know, there's a certain level of kind of freedom, even though the game's called freedom in stepping into somebody's shoes and walking through it. Whereas it's just, I'm just reading about these people and uh, reading about the Underground Railroad or something or them trying to pass it. 
I'm like, great, those are, those are great people doing these things. But if I step into the shoes, and there's real consequences. Like I said, there's a sacrifice of the consequence and the consequences of sacrifice. That is a different impression. That can have a certain kind of impact on you. Um, so that's kind of, that's, that's kind of, that's all I got to say there. Uh, I have not seen, I just want to throw this out there. I have not seen a game like this come out. And I've talked to people about this sometimes. And a lot of people say, uh, this war of mine is another game like that, where it's a very, very heavy subject and stuff. Uh, I guess I should play it. Now that one, outside of that one, I don't think there's really been anything like this. And maybe I'm a little bit more, uh, I guess attached to this because it's it's my country. This is where I was I was born, and it's part of uh, effectively my history. You know, we're taught about this in school. Whereas this war of mine is a little bit removed, but I also didn't like the video game of that. It was very much like uh, progress bars. The game, like I felt like I was just managing these bars of like oh the food meter and the stress meter. I don't. Know, it's been years since I played it. I never really thought I was playing a game. I was just like I was managing things. I was like oh the bad stuff is happening. Mm. Like at Papers, Please is a video game that's a very serious subject. It has a little bit of a lighter edge to it uh, where you're like sort of letting people in at uh, like a border crossing in a, in a fake Eastern Bloc uh, European country during uh, the Cold War. And that was very interesting because there's some kind of game activity around it. Um, uh, but the, I haven't seen a game like this, uh, Freedom. And it probably doesn't sell very well. I don't, I can't imagine it does. But man, whoever, you know, I can't remember the designer's name. I apologize. I've met him. I can't remember. I don't have the box anymore. But uh, I just I, I just wish people would make this kind of game more. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so that's Freedom. And then now the top five games is the games that I have, except number five I don't. But gut, I got rid of it because the second edition is coming out any month, week this year. That's CO2. Uh, CO2 is a, another game with a very interesting theme where you're having kind of the global warming aspect. Each player is playing uh, a, a different company uh, or, sort of, or working for different countries and taking contracts out. And so it has a cooperative side where you don't want to have the, uh, the CO2 level get to a certain degree and everybody loses. But then you're also trying to exploit the situation for your own riches and benefits. Uh, you are basically exploiting the situation of global warming, which is real. And you are, uh, you know, trying to get the most victory points. It has some real cool, interesting uh, uh, market aspects with this whole concept of carbon credits, which I haven't really heard that idea thrown around for a while. That's a weird idea anyway. But it, it couches everything in that sort of uh, idea of carbon credits, kind of buying and selling these credits back and forth to then establish and kind of convert the power. So you have coal firing plants and all this kind of stuff. And you try to convert to a green energy. So it's cool. It's a very cool theme and it's great. And it's great that somebody tackles that and talks about it. And it really puts you in the mindset of like, huh, this is interesting. I'm trading these credits and I'm in this position of, oh God, I'm taking advantage of this situation, but I'm trying to win. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to, you know, not have the planet get poisoned or whatever. Uh, so it's really cool. So I got rid of the first one because that's what I do. If they announce a second edition and I'm confident that it's going to be as good or just an improvement or an upgrade, then I'll just move along the other one because the space is at a, uh, a premium here. So anyway, that's number five. I'm getting the new edition whenever it comes out. Uh, number four of the games that I've kept is Robinson Crusoe. And this is from Portal Games. This is a fantastic co-op. One of, if not one of my favorite co-ops. One of, if not one of. One of my favorite co-ops, if not one of. Yeah, anyway, so 
uh, it's great. It's got a really cool me mechanic where you crash on the desert island and it has a bunch of scenarios. So you might be doing like a King Kong scenario. You might be just trying to build a shelter. Um, you might just be trying to, oh, you could play through um, like a, a Darwin type of thing where you're trying to make, uh, discover new species and stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of different scenarios. The sort of the, the trick of it for me and the thing I really like is unlike, let's say like a pandemic or something, Defenders of the Realm, which I like, uh, you have an event deck. An event will happen and then you maybe go and try to hunt and you trigger an event based on a die and you're like, okay, I'm going to either handle this event now and take some kind of hit, which, well, maybe that's not really good because, you know, the situation the game's at, it's just really going to hurt us bad. Or I'll just tuck it here under the deck and then hope it doesn't come out or hope I try to prepare for the consequence of me kind of neglecting the effects of that event. That's just a really neat, cool mechanism. Um, and it has this real kind of assisted worker placement thing where you're placing workers and you can say, well, we'll put two workers here and that'll just ensure 100% we get it done. But the worker pawns are very limited, so I can just place one, roll the dice, take a little bit of a chance. So again, it's it has a lot of kind of really smart Euro elements that kind of are just whipping around and making that uh, co-op experience actually more thematic in a lot of ways. So it's really cool. Uh, so that's Robinson Crusoe. Definitely look at that. They've come out with second edition. The rule book's much better, I think. I, I've played it with the old crappy rule book. And uh, so I think it's better. I looked through it and it was like, oh, this seems better organized. But uh, just give the rules a little bit of a shot. Uh, definitely set up and play through a game of it, I would say, before maybe introducing it to your friends or whatever. Um, but just to kind of get through. Because it's, it's not really that complex of a game. It's just... There's like a lot to take in and then you get it and you're like, oh, okay, this is pretty simple. We go through these eight phases and then and worker placement and you finish off and then you're good. So it's really cool. And then the scenarios and stuff can kind of tweak it and twist it on its ear. They have released a First Martians, which is sort of the same system, but there's an app assisted thing and it's on Mars, but it's the same sort of concept. I like this better. I like Robinson Crusoe better. Played First Martians twice and it's good. You know, it's fine. The rule book was kind of crappy. I don't know. I didn't read it. I tried to read it. I got taught the game, and ah, I just rather play Robinson Crusoe. You'd think I would like Mars as a theme, I guess, because it's sci-fi or something, but I like the Robinson Crusoe theme. That's not really a theme that you see very much, you know, deserted island thing. I don't really see that. So I think I like it a little bit more because of the theme. Okay, that's number four. Number three is Andean Abyss. Still have this one. This is a what's called a coin game. Uh, what this is is a four-player game, but you can play it one to four players. Uh, my favorite way is to actually play it with two. But there's always going to be four factions. There's the, in this case, the Colombian government, the Colombian drug cartels, the Colombian FARC, the F-A-R-C, which is sort of a communist populist sort of uprising type of thing. And then there's the AUC, which is sort of a right-wing populist uh, type of ag group, a very small group, but a very, uh, I don't know, evil, <laughs> very violent, I will say. Everybody's very violent in this game. I don't want to cast aspersions as anybody's Colombian politics because I don't know what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, so you have the four factions there with four very different uh, win conditions. And in a lot of ways, you try to cooperate a little bit with uh, the different groups. So maybe for a little while, the drug cartels are cooperating with the government because the communists have a you know very good foothold and they're having to start having an uprising to overthrow the government uh and uh it has these the mechanics are relatively complicated 
the interesting mechanical piece is you have an event card coming up and then it has like an order of actions on the card that you can take and then maybe oh first the government's up so they can either take the event on the card or they can go and do one of the, like kind of your basic actions but based on whatever they choose, they could also pass, but that whatever they choose, that will set up a second action for somebody else who is next to the line to sort of respond. So there's this kind of reaction, action, reaction type of thing. And you really do have to cooperate uh, at certain points in the game, which is what I like. And it's very thematic in, in a lot of ways, especially with the Andy and Abyss game. Uh, there's been other games uh, set in the Cuban Revolution, Cuba Libre, which is probably my favorite of the series. Uh, so this is a little bit more... I don't know, it's a little more condensed than compact, and I think the cooperation is a little bit more stressed than that one. But I still really like Andy and Abyss. Um, now, I like a two-player because you have to get both victory conditions for both factions that you manage. So two-player, I take two factions, you take the other two. And you take the two that are more likely to cooperate uh, with each other. So you have to achieve both those victories. And that makes it a lot of interesting decisions because, like, okay, if I do this here, that's eh, going to push... You know the government way up here uh but the auc who's kind of hard to win with in, the, in this case it's you know, just going to kind of leave them so they need all the help they can get so yeah maybe i'll just take a little bit of a hit here on the government side and help the auc a little bit more so there's a nice push and pull and all the games in the coin system have that kind of that idea but although i do really like playing it uh four player as well and the solo solo is good too i played a solo where you play and there's like a flow chart for all the actions of the other factions like in any nabis you play as the government and then all three of the other factions are um, driven by this, what looks like a really complicated flowchart. And it is complicated. I don't want to undersell that. Once you get the hang of it, though, you're like, you'll just kind of ingest it. So one full play of this solo, like your first play, if you're just trying to learn the game from scratch, we're looking at like a five-hour deal. So leave it set up. But once you get into it, then you're going to pick up the pace a lot. So there's, it's certainly a bear at first. Um, but I, I definitely recommend it solo as well, especially, yeah, it's a, it's a great solo game. If you, I'm not big into doing solo games, but uh, I, I do enjoy them from time to time, and I think this is a great one. If you are like a solo gamer, you're geared towards it, this is a great one, I think. Okay, two more. Number two, and I think this is my number one game of the year. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, this number two is Space Cadets. Space Cadets is, I love this game. It's so good. I've, this is one of those, again, I've not played a game quite like this i guess that uh what's that one the red alert or something yeah everybody keeps telling me that that's not the same <laughs> this game's great because you have it's a co-op multiple players are doing different things and you each are at a different station it's kind of like um okay captain sonar i would say but that's a competitive head-to-head -head game although i will say captain sonar has come close to kicking this one out captain sonar actually kicked out space cadets dice duel because i don't actually have captain sonar but we have one or two people in the group that have it. And if they bring it, man, I'm ready to play that game. I love Captain Sonar. Uh, but it, this is similar to Captain Sonar, the original Space Cadets, where each player has a very asymmetrical, distinct action. So if you're shooting bullets out of your ship, everybody flies like the Enterprise. It's basically Star Trek in a box. Um, and so one person shooting, they're flicking discs at this, like, on this little board. And another person is like playing a game of memory to manage like the energy and stuff. And then you've got the shields that you're trying to manage, and uh, it's been a little while since I played it, but you got all these different things that you're doing. You're moving the ship through these different sectors of space, and these alien ships are coming out, these different things, and they're, like damaging your ship, and uh, you know there's timers and stuff involved. Just an amazing, 
fun game. Again, this is one that it's a little bit daunting, but I think if you were to get this and you as the instructor spend the time to learn each of these different stations, it's not a ton. It's going to take you an hour or so to kind of walk through everything, go, oh, this is how this works, this is how that works, maybe two hours. And then you've got that. Then you can now present that to the group, teach each person's uh, station individually, and then away you go. And then everybody can kind of watch as the game unfolds, and you as effectively the ship's captain can just kind of manage all that stuff and it scales fine uh, for a different number of players it actually breaks the actions up into different phases so if you only had like three players then you might be managing two stations but you're not really doing it at the same time they're kind of in different phases so that works now if you do that though there is a card that tells you to like switch stations and get up and switch but you're like oh i didn't learn that just draw the next card like the first time that you're playing, this just skip that so everybody can kind of focus. I mean, unless you want to, everybody's up to speed by that point and you want to switch. Uh, but it's fun. It's just super fun. And it's thematic and it's just silly. And you're like yelling at each other, why did you fly us into the asteroid? How could you miss that torpedo shot? You know, all that stuff. So it elicits all of that, uh, you know, bridge on the Star Trek is on fire and we're being shot to hell by the Klingons. You know, it elicits all of that great stuff. Anyway, so that's kind of my number two. And it's definitely number two, number one, whatever. Number The next one is number one because it's just, it's just, it's Clash of Cultures. And it's just kind of slowly just gone up and up and up and on my list. Uh, so Clash of Cultures is, okay, sadly, <laughs> it's out of print. The expansion for it is what pokes it up to number one. I still like it without the expansion. The expansion is so out of print. I've seen people selling it for like 200 bucks. Now, I know it's being shopped around and uh, multiple publishers are looking in it. Uh, nobody's announced that they're going to reprint it. Uh, Z-Man had it, moved it on. Uh, I hope it gets a reprint. I hope it gets a reprint in a relatively short order. I would, I'll raise my hand. I will buy it again if you put the expansion bundled in. I don't want to play it without expansion again. I will buy it again. Uh, you know, if you can add a fifth, <laughs> I, know, I know I'm driving one or two people crazy, but... If you can add a fifth and sixth player expansion, oh, that'd be so good because the one thing that you don't get with this game and you get a little bit of it with a four player game that you would probably get more of, you'd think, with a five and six player game is the trading. So it's a Civ game. You know, you build up your cities, you spread your cities out, you build up your technology. It's got a little technology tree boards. Uh, the expansion adds like um, realistic civilizations. So you could be Rome or uh, Egypt or whatever. Uh, you know, China and stuff like that. And you get the special abilities and stuff with all that and you build it up and there's different ways to score points because the points are in your hand and you score sort of like uh, War of the Ring or Twilight Struggle where you have these cards that you're trying to score different times and these multi-purpose cards and stuff. Uh, it's really good. It's going to take three hours to play a four-player game once everybody knows how to play. Uh, really, really fun. Just elicits, It's my favorite civil civilization game by far. And if you can add, I should spend more time talking about the game, but if you could add a fifth and sixth player expansion, then you could trade because you can trade your objective cards. Uh, you can trade goods for gold and stuff like that. You can get that. I'm not going to trade with the guy next to me because we're going to be fighting soon. Now, sometimes you could, but it's just really hard. Like in a two player game, you're just not going to trade. Like, no, I'm not trading with you. In a three player game, yeah, we can trade and then kill him and then fight each other. That's no fun. In a four-player game, then you can trade. I'm like, well, I'll trade with you. You're across on the other side of the board. Here, take my stone. Build that extra, uh, not tank, but build the extra ship or whatever. 
And then, you know, you give me that objective card that you can't score at all. And that gives me a point. So you get some of that going on. That makes it really fun and immersive and stuff. But again, you need at least four for that to happen. Um, the one thing I like about it, so to kind of divert from that, is with the expansion, this is what, again, puts it up to the top spot, is you can have uh, very different endings. Now, with the basic game, without the expansion, you kind of expand, do a little battle here and there, maybe a couple of big battles at the end. Kind of has that eclipse thing where you build up, you build up, you kind of turtle a little bit maybe, and then there's a big fight, like in the middle. So it kind of does that thing. So that's fine. That's no big deal. It's kind of fun, a big epic fight. Now, with the expansion, with the different abilities and special triggers and passive abilities and stuff that you get, you can try to go for more of an economic uh, type of victory. Now, it's just victory points. You get points for all kinds of stuff. But you can really tick and tack your gameplay to be a certain way uh, with the expansion. And that's going to just really add a lot of replayability and variety to the gameplay. So I think the expansion is, is, a, is a as much as a must as something could be without actually being a must. Because I still like the basic game. So if you can find that cheap, pick it up. Because I don't know when it's getting reprinted. Uh, the expansion, do not pay 200 bucks for it. Uh, I don't blame people. Now, there are people that are like, have files out there where you can print this stuff out. And since it's no longer in print, I think I'm okay uh, morally saying that <laughs> go and look those up uh, because then it'll add a lot of fun to your game. But hopefully they reprint it and they, you know, add some new cool miniatures and modules in the fifth and sixth player expansion. All right. So that is my top 10 from 2012. And I think... Uh, I think I talked about it during the Mage Wars bit where I said, hey, look, I liked miniature games before I knew I did when I liked Mage Wars. Um, so that you can kind of see the the arc of it. And I think that's one thing to uh, maybe leave with is um, I think gaming and reviews and all this stuff and sort of this concept of like evolving as a gamer or growing as a gamer and all of this stuff you hear people talk about. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's always a process. Uh, it's always it's always in motion, right? Everything's always in motion. Um, so there's not like a final verdict on anything. Like, uh, you know, I just reviewed Thunderstone Quest, uh, which I love way more than Thunderstone. Yeah, the game has evolved a little bit. Maybe I evolved a little bit too. Mage Wars I loved. You know, now I'm into miniature games. I still really like freedom. I don't have it because of the situations I presented earlier. Um, yeah, so my whole thing is with this is if I could try to figure out how to talk about it better, and maybe I'm doing that right now, but if I could try to figure out how to talk about it, the situation without passing a verdict, does that make sense? I mean, it's sort of, I'm asking a lot there. That's, that's It doesn't seem possible because as soon as I utter a thing in that instant, I'm issuing a verdict. But to me, it's always a process. Like, you know, like coming down and saying, this is this is a 10 out of 10, and this is that, and this is good, and I don't recommend this, I recommend that. Thumbs up, thumbs down, all that stuff. That's such a weird thing to be in. That this that just for me at this point, you asked me this a year or two ago, I would have been like, yeah, whatever, you give it an eight, you know, because that's your ballpark. Stop tripping. <laughs> like, it's not that big a deal. Uh, but for me, this is one thing I just kind of noticed. I just... I can't articulate it that well, and I think there's probably other people that can better. But to me, it's just such a process of enjoyment 
and everything and in just sort of defining like what you're doing like just saying this is my hobby like i even have a problem with that now you know because people like uh you know i love the local warhammer guys but sometimes you get online and it's just like man this is your religion like what is your deal <laughs> like i think this game is great let's just talk about warhammer for a second i'm gonna tangent you can turn this off but like you know Warhammer is great. Like, I love all the lore and stuff. I've really gotten into that. And it's an interesting, weird, like, Mad Max in a fantasy world, like, horrifying landscape of a thing. And I think that's great. I, I don't know what it is. I like Mad Max, and I like that stuff. Um, so that's just, uh, I mean, I, I can get political, but I'm not. You know, that's just, I see how things can be sometimes in the world and how things are for people that are living, like, now they're in Mad Max, you know. You think, like, oh, I'm doing good, middle class. Oh, this other person, 10 miles away and also 10,000 miles away, is living in Mad Max. So, um, anyway, my point is, that's why I like Warhammer. Because I am putting that into that. And that's my process. That's what I'm getting out of it. You know, a lot of this stuff. And so, but, like, identifying, tying my identity to, I'm a Warhammer Age of Sigmar guy. I know all this lore. And I know a lot more lore than I did a year ago. But I also don't care about it <laughs> that much. It's a vehicle for me to get to a, a point, to get to a point of escape and get to a point of fun and leisure and, and self-care and self-healing and all that good stuff. That's the vehicle, right? It doesn't matter. Like, that's just going to be so different for everybody else. It's just going to be so different for everybody. And that's why, that's, that's why I'm struggling with the verdict thing. I think I kind of said it. And I know it's a little bit hypocritical, paradoxical kind of thing. Because I am sitting here making the video. But i just trying to relate that struggle for me to sort of come down and say things. Now, I'm just going to tell you what I feel. Which is, that's all any of these reviewers are doing or anybody that talk, you talk to on the street. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to go back and look at those that top 10 there. I'm just kind of relaying to you my experience with that. Anyway, I just see a lot of like tribalism, you know, building walls around things. Stuff like that is annoying. And... Uh, so it's a process, right? You know, one day, one day I'm painting uh, a gene stealer that eats brains and stuff, and the other day I'm building a bridge, you know, to the castle in France. <laughs> anyway, these lights are really hot. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to ramble there for a second and uh, tell everybody I appreciate you, and uh, I will see you later. Bye.